Updog fella. Look good, feel good, play good. We got some new Adidas golf swag coming the fella's way. I don't know if any new golf swag would help your game, but, but I love it. Adidas is excited to introduce new offerings within the go-to apparel collection that allows you to bring your style to the golf course. Not the traditional golf uniform. Go-to brings a fresh attitude to the game wherever you play. You'll look good on and off the course while enjoying all the technical benefits that let you play your best. Featuring streetwear-inspired style, the go-to collection rewrites all the rules and encourages you to express your style through every swing. Explore the new go-to collection on adidas.com slash golf. Fella. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Another one. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a fresh new episode of Missing Curfew. I'm Shane O'Brien, and as always, coming to you from Action Park Media Studios in Beverly Hills with my boy, Scotty William Upshaw. Obes, how are you, buddy? Oh, Doug, you get a haircut? Hair's looking pretty flowy. Or... No, new product or anything? blow dryer in it oh, this nice. morning. I was feeling good waking up. <laughs> pretty excited for my Tuesday. Tuesdays are exciting. And in the booth, as always, Captain Connolly. I just got a haircut as well. We got holiday haircuts. Holiday yeah. haircuts. Holiday haircuts. Congratulations on Movember, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad this I'm glad it's over. I gotta be honest. Man, that was a nice stash, though. That was a good duster. Thick. So we had some guys in the Missing Curfew that sent us some dusters from up north. They, a lot of guys were rocking the handlebar dusters. I think if I had a couple weeks, I could have done the the Raleigh Fingers thing, but uh, my, I'm glad it's over. So is my girlfriend. Congratulations on that. That's a, that's a classy move, though. And uh, as always on the East Coast, Broadway, Jimmy Scoops Hayes rocking the Boston Red Sox hat today. Oh, yeah. Bounce back year for the Red Sox. Even though they haven't got out and got anybody, I'm telling you, it's going to be a year for the Red Sox. <laughs> you got, what's with the double microphones you got going? Is that the new setup or what? You know, I'm just always in a media scrum around here in Boston, so I just got to be prepared. But no, it's just for the sound quality for the podcast, doing anything for the podcast, team guy. You look like Big Poppy after the World Series right now with the hat on and all the microphones. All you need is some champagne. Nice bottle Ace of Spades sitting right up top shelf of uh, my bar. Maybe we'll pop it. You're just missing a good-looking uh, interview girl down in your basement, interviewing you and, you know, looking fresh. With that new yeah, tea. I'll get the wife to come down. We'll play. Uh, we'll play a little game down here for me these <laughs> nights. Isn't there a hot girl that works for Nesson? I, I think uh, they always think have hot girls. I creep to the Instagram. What's the girl that does Nesson, Jimmy? I know you know her name. What's her name? Come on. No, they they've been going through them all. They change them over all the time. But the, who's the one? Girl? Like you, uh, <laughs> What was her name? She's dating one of the baseball players, but she works somewhere else now. Is it? Jenny something. She I don't know. Gorgeous. They had a brunette working last year because I would creep around. Now, now, do they always go through them because because the, the boys go through them and they or they just they, they get better jobs or are the guys in Boston teeing off on them? That's why they're getting fired. What, it's what's like the on? minors for them. The Nesson's the minors. A lot of them start getting up to ESPN and NBC Sports. Wow. Yeah, Shane, it's not because the boys are running through them. <laughs> <laughs> I was just their curious. careers are evolving. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And they're yeah, taking, no, they're going they, up. They're no, moving they on They like up. to get a piece, too. I'm just going like from the history of my career. Every year we come back to camp and there was a new TV girl. Chances are someone took her down the year before. I was just going off history of what happened through my career. And I'm not saying it was me. It, it rarely was. It wasn't from a lack of effort. But somebody <laughs> somebody probably did. But uh, anyways, let's, let's, let's start it off with... 
Captain Collie. He's been working at his game hard up, dog. We respect it. He shoots 86 in the desert, Broadway. Career low. Wow. Doesn't count, though. Desert courses don't count. Yeah, no, they're, they're easy, but you get so drunk out there. Tequila's on the first tee. I mean, find your ball anywhere in the cacti. Well, that's what I'm saying. It was just wide open. And the greens at Mountain Gate are tricky. These were just like, you just straight at the holes. Like shooting yeah, it's like baskets. a funnel. Right, you're not playing the, you know, the slope. You just fucking knock it in the cup. And no bad lies in the desert. Which, no, which, no bad lies. Yeah, I mean, so. yeah, like in a bad lie, you're hitting out of, you know, some sand. No bad cacti. anything in the desert. Yeah, the Maybe desert's... some bad habits. But <laughs> there's no bad <laughs> days. The other thing, I, I, was in, I was out in Palm Springs, and you always identify, I, me personally, I just identify Palm Springs with it being 120 degrees and yeah. Coachella and crowded. But out there for the holiday, it was beautiful. 80 degrees. I mean, it's eight months out of the year. The desert's great. It's just June, July, and August. I think you should treat yourself to a house out there, maybe. That way the boys have somewhere to go here. Yeah, the way, they're they're, they're giving them away out there. They're giving them away out there. They're pretty cheap. Hazy, have you ever played golf in Palm Springs or, or the desert or anything like that? No, just in Arizona. I had a yeah. round at Scottsdale. We played at uh, that, uh, the TPC there, and I, uh, I had to leave after the ninth hole. I was so hungover. I, was, I just couldn't grind through it. Wow. I had to go back. I actually went back to the house and got an emergency IV. You left after nine. Huh? Lupel did that at Innsbruck in Tampa where they have the PGA tournament after nine holes. I've been faking injuries <laughs> for years. Chris. I've only done that one time when the fucking, when the food station was closed at Seacliff. Remember that? I, I was so fucking hungry and, and they shut it down on me. I go, boys, I'm out. Yeah. I got to go eat. The up dog, if he's hungry at the turn, if there's no food, he's done. And if he gets a hot dog in him, look out. Because chances are that back nine, is, it's, it's going to be even part yeah, better. 12, 13, and 14 are all birdies. He fucking comes <laughs> on hard after a hot dog and a couple drinks. But cons, congratulations on the 86, brother. Desert or not, way to, way to work hard. The game's paying off. Imagine if you practice that much, how good your short game would be. Fuck, I, should, I was going to ask, Con, you getting lessons? Uh, no, and, and my game has actually plateaued. Like, I, I went from, and then I, I dropped down a few strokes, and now I realize that I have to take lessons because I'm just, I can't just beat the game by playing five days a week. I, I need somebody to help me with my swing. Our, actually, our Fair buddy, enough. Billy Quinn, texted us in the group chat this week. Good weekend. Irishman. Yeah, and he has a teacher out here in L.A. that's a pretty good, I can't remember the guy's name. but Como. Uh, Okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, work so, with Tiger. Uh, and he's working with the Shambo. So maybe he could help well, you if he out. He worked cons. with those guys. Maybe he could help. Uh, you know, yeah, he likes the pod too. <laughs> maybe some free lessons for the boys. Yeah, right. So, I like it. Cons, congratulations, uh, Up Dog. I got to give Up Dog some love. He was generous enough to invite you know the the single guy over to his Thanksgiving. The Up Dog Thanksgiving. You killed it, bro. Uh, you might we mean, had you a, had, we the, had, you a had time. the setup outside. You had the, all the in laws. Congratulations. How was it from Thank your you. perspective? No, it was I'll great. Be, that I was had, a National League setup. It was. It was. I'll give a lot of credit to uh, to my girl, Christina, for setting up the table, which got a lot of love on the Instagram. You know, we did a little outdoor setup with the, you know, with the... Uh, the tablecloth and the flowers and the white pumpkins and all the nice cutlery and stuff, the gold cutlery. But the, the best part was me and my, uh, pretty much my brother-in-law, Matt, uh, smoking this turkey on the Traeger. Yeah. It was badass. Filleted the thing right down the pipe. We ripped out the breastbone. We stuffed fucking butter and garlic up through the skin, seasoned half on one side with yeah. a little, like, uh, spicy Traeger sauce. On the next side, we did a, a meat church. Uh, little dry garlic rub. Fuck, was it tasty? Who was in charge of the actual turkey? It was uh, it was me and my and my boy Matt Matt Davis. Shout it's a big out. responsibility. That turkey. no, it was it was a I think a lot it was of a pressure. Fucking sixteen pounder. 
It was, it was a, a big, big bird. Big bo- yeah, it was a big That's boy. a big, we had a 30 pounder. There's only five of us. I was okay, going to say, so I I'm, dropped the 26 pounder. Okay, then, then I'm <laughs> so fucking off. I don't know, but I had turkey. You, you gave me a nice little to-go bag. I had turkey sandwiches for four you fucking sure days. Did. Yeah, it was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, So. Oh, um, didn't you try pounder. to get takeout last Thanksgiving, or was that Christmas? I'm a big takeout guy for Thanksgiving, yeah. If, if, listen, if Uppy doesn't invite me over and that Raven-Steeler game doesn't get canceled... I don't leave the couch. I watch three <laughs> football games. I postmate something. And cons, I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm a right. single guy with no family out here. I would have watched Also, too, Thanksgiving, uh, you're Canadian. What do you give a shit? No, I mean, I, for me, it was Super Wednesday, cons. I was Super fired up Wednesday. for Super Wednesday. Had a great night. The highlight for me, up dog, at your, at your Thanksgiving was your, your father-in-law, Duke, who's an absolute beauty. He's saying the grace, and up he's got the tunes going, and Dirty, Dan- <laughs> Dirty Dance is playing while he's saying the grace. Was he saying, like, a real grace? Or was oh, it, yeah, uh, yeah, he was. Like, a minute grace, and fucking the Dirty Dancing tunes come through the speaker, and I'm just like, this I, is fucking hilarious. I wasn't sure if I should if I should get on my phone <laughs> to turn it down. Scene. You gotta turn it down, then it, it looks down, like bro. you're texting. It looks like you're texting yeah, during grace, so I didn't want to, like, get on my phone and, like, shut it down. But Dirty Dancing and grace do not go hand in hand. Oh, because I got to tell the story of the lockout year when when me, you, and Joe DeMarco, we do Thanksgiving turkey at Lupul's beach house. He was playing in Russia, right? This is the question I was going to ask you. This is my favorite story. Go ahead. Yeah, so anyway, we sit around, watch football all day, and we had the gas mask. We're fucking smoking bongs out of this we're gas We're fucking mask. baked beyond Super belief. baked. Jimbo, we're so, we couldn't be more cooked. <laughs> like. So we have the turkey. We get everything from this Bristol Farms, beautiful, like, uh, grocery store in Newport Beach. We have it all set up. All we got to do is just fucking put it in the oven. <laughs> so we get it in the oven. We throw the turkey in there. All we got to do is heat it up. And Obi was he, like, we had a big Wednesday again. Super Wednesday. Super Obi Wednesday. was super, super Wednesday. Wednesday. Super Obes on Super Wednesday. I give Obes the job of cutting the turkey. It was really the only job he needed to get off the couch for. And we were all so baked that it was like, it was a challenge to do anything. So he gets up, goes into the kitchen. He's comes back on that couch fucking four minutes later, right? And I'm like, fuck, did he just trim that whole turkey <laughs> off in like four minutes? So, so we get up to go eat after like the stuffing's ready. It pops. I go... I go check out this turkey, and he's cut the thing in like six fillets, like the turkey fucking, steaks. The turkey steaks. They were they were cut like two and a half inch thick, fucking round New York strips. I was, I couldn't fucking help it. I hit the floor. I right. was gonna make a fucking turkey burger, fucking with the bread, fucking cheese turkey burger. It's a, it's a good it's a fair thought. If you got three guys. You cut up three turkey steaks. <laughs> totally. Hey, listen, I, hey Obes, that's working efficiently, if you ask me. Also, too, Obi, what was the story? And I think this was Lupul was having Christmas at his house, and and O'Brien was supposed to come, and he was blasted from the night before and couldn't make it. And asked somebody, he said, "No, but can you send? I'm going to send somebody over to get a plate." And Lupul said, "No, no, you come to dinner." Like a human being. Yeah. You know, you're not getting to go from my house. I was saying, when someone was going to leave, I'm like, hey, on your way out of there, grab a plate for me and drop it off at my pad. You're going right by me. Fuck. <laughs> Lou's kibosh. He shot you down, right? He shot me down. Fucking loophole. I mean, Super Wednesday got me again. Well, that was Christmas time, so it was probably Christmas Eve. But up, dog, congratulations. Yeah, it was it great. It was a Thanks great Thanksgiving. I appreciate the invite. And real quick before we dive into our rundown here, Hazy, fucking bad beat last night. Seahawks, oh, my God, on the Hail Mary from the birds. I'm sorry, fella. Great mother of God. That could have been one of the worst beats I've seen in a while because I'm sitting there, like, smiling. When they're, up, they're up 14 with, like, two minutes to go. I'm like, huh, money in the bank. I'm literally, I feel like, I'm betting like the 2017 Cleveland Browns. I am 0 for 17 the last fucking 17 bets. It's getting ridiculous. I need a winner ASAP. <laughs> Up dog, you picked the winner I, last uh, night. I did. I did. I needed a win. I actually had a good Sunday night. Um, the Packers really pulled through. 
But I was saying I was cold as ice as you, Jimmy, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, heated up a little bit, put it all on the fucking Sunday night game, Aaron Rodgers, booyah. And then I took it into Monday night. You know, I took the Seahawks. Me, me and Ob's been, he's been giving me some wins, and I've just, I haven't been putting them in. Well, put them in the group chat then, boys. I yeah, yeah, we'll get them in there. Bad. Collins, my lock of the week was Dolphins against the Jets and our boy Updog win bet it, bro. Yeah, I just know forgot that was it. Gonna happen. Hey, also, too, can we, this guy Metcalf, I mean, is this guy he's from a planet he's Earth? He's a truck. He is a truck. I mean, is he the best wide out in the game right now? I mean, he, yeah, he's, he's leading the he's league in reception beast. yards. He's a beast, man. Did anyone see last night when he caught that ball, like, near the end zone, and he jumps over the guy and lands out of bounds on his fucking one ankle? I, like, anyone else would have put, his, put their leg on backwards. But he's, I feel like he's like a fucking How horse. How does Seattle pick he's him up? He's a monster. So he had, a, he had some injuries in college. He only played some, like, 20 games, had some injuries, had some other issues. Good so, scouting? So he slid to the second round. I, I remember when Pete Carroll got him in the second round, they showed the draft room, and the fucking Pete Carroll was high-fiving the GM, and everyone was they like, wanted them. They, we can't they believe like we got wrestler. this guy. He yeah. looks like he's from the, that movie Black Panther. Where are they from? <laughs> yeah. He had horrible combine numbers, too, but that looked like those didn't matter at all. Hey, so how funny is this? So I'm working out last night. Uh, the game just starts. I'm at the gym by my house, Curl Fitness, sick gym. They just redid the whole thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting a workout <laughs> in. I'm on the Stairmaster for a bit, and I got the AirPods in. And... The texts get read through Siri on my fucking phone, right? So we're in a group text and everyone's chirping flowers because he likes the Eagles and Wentz is just completely god-awful. So I'm listening to Siri tell me like, he's like, yeah, well, it's the O-line's hurt and the D-line and all this shit. Yeah. So I hear Siri go, well, explain. <laughs> it's like Siri voice, right? Explain the underthrows and overthrows and interceptions and all this shit, right? So I'm dying laughing and then I go, <laughs> I hadn't replied back because my phone was right there. So I get off the treadmill. And uh, I write back, LOL, I'm listening to Siri describe these texts. And then uh, while I'm at the gym, and Obi writes me and goes, LOL, little late workout, eh, Updog? Who are you trying to fuck in there? And I listen to Siri tell me this, and I fucking hit the ground laughing. Like, it was the fucking funny. I go, thing. night workout, who are you trying to fuck in there, Updog? <laughs> well, oh, I was cracking up, folks. So obviously, boys, Tyson and Jones this on Saturday night. I never thought I'd seen Iron Mike back in there. Um, it was a pretty good spectacle. Snoop Dogg came out, did unbelievable performance. I mean, he fuck, saved the day. Snoop yeah, was unreal. Part. He oh, definitely Wayne. was worth the 50 bucks. Did you watch it, Jimmy? Oh, yeah, I watched it. It took me two hours to try to figure out with Comcast. <laughs> but, yeah, I watched it. It was unbelievable. But Snoop Dogg saved the day because Lil Wayne was supposed to do all the performing, and he backed out. Like the day of, he didn't feel like flying there, I guess. I was told, I asked a guy that I know, uh, one of our buddies, he's a big Vegas guy, I asked him, how much do you think Snoop got paid for this? And you know what he told me? And he had a thousand? I thought it was in the hundred thousands. He said it was five mil. Is that, uh, is that I, I, would I would say that he was wrong. And that's what I called him out on. And he's, he's like, wrong. I'm Tyson made a million, they made a million dollars each and yeah. they have a cut of the pay-per-view. So they said that Tyson and Jones would, Tyson would make in the five, six million range. Jones would make in the three million range. They didn't give Snoop three that's million I, to sing I, some songs and tell some jokes. He, I know, but without him, wrong. he was, without him, without his performance at the end and without him fucking doing the play-by-play, -play, I mean, He might make was, five mil off the commentary. That's kind of... Yeah, he stole the show. You know what? Maybe I, they I had him cut in on the... Maybe they had him cut him out. Maybe 500,000 yeah. would be a lot. Yeah, because... Considering it was at Staples Center. It's a few miles totally. from his house. And he didn't promote Snoop Dogg on the on the ticket at all, really, right. right? Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, listen to Snoop Dogg tonight with the Mike Tyson fucking... Now, maybe Snoop well, was a last-minute ad, Uppy. He was got he? added, like, last minute, yeah. It was supposed to be Lil Wayne. 
Ah, right, that's what I'm out. saying. So maybe he had them over the barrel negotiation-wise, but I would be shocked I would have if been he shocked got too. $2 million more than Roy Jones. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. I just love that when he was doing his performance, he came down and sat on the ring just smoking a fucking <laughs> doobie. I'm like, I'm like, this is fucking great. Is this yeah. boxing nowadays? And I read something on Twitter, and as Khan says, it's social media, can you believe it or not, but there was a comment from Tyson saying he, was, he got stoned before he went in the ring. I, I can't feel much. Yeah, he's like, I had to get. He says, I smoke weed every day. I had to get. I had to get baked before I went in the ring. I don't know if that's true. Well, he's got his weed company. What would you think of the actual promoting. fight? What did you think of the actual Collins? What did you think of the actual? I thought it was, fight? A, thought it was a high, high action uh, sparring match. I think Tyson could have dropped him at will and didn't. So I don't just, think he punch, tried to punch him in the head one time. Yeah, it, it was, was like a lot, he was body just, a lot of body shots. Where like, fuck. As soon as he got Roy Jones in the corners, it's like. Give him one uppercut. He did. I don't think he threw. He one was up like not throwing the combinations. He'd hit yeah. him like one two, you know. And yeah, normally well, he'd do one two three four. <laughs> yeah. you know? Roy Jones was in and out like a fiddler's elbow too. He was oh, just yeah. like. I'm glad out. I he watched looked, it though. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. I mean, Jones looked like me at the end of a shift in Finland, Hazy, when I was trying to make my comeback after that fight. He was like, <sighs> oh, he was just fuck. done. But good yeah. for them for getting in there. Better question is where is Nate Robinson right now? Today. In a fucking dark, quiet room. Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully in an ice tub with his face in there. He got dropped. Fuck. Fuck. That's a bad look for the NBA. Rocky Force. Tough, tough look. He just didn't know how to go. And I don't either. I'm not a boxer. But if you're not a boxer, don't fucking box. Like, fucking crazy. But anyway, he did not know how to go into, like... Don't leave with your chin, eh? I, I figure a hockey guy would have a better way of just going in and fucking, like, engaging at least in the... in. The battle. Yeah. yeah. This is he was going in some of the chitter first. chatter that happened with that. Yeah, it leads us into our next question, boys. So Revo and Leonard from Vegas call out Logan Paul on Twitter. Revo calls out Biz too. He said, after I knocked Biz out on that round of rowdy rowdy thing that Barcel does. Yeah. Rough and rowdy. So thanks, Broadway. Um, I'm gonna knock out Logan Paul. So in my mind Jake Paul. Jake Paul, sorry. Is that his name? Logan's his brother, right? Well, Logan it's They're Logan the Paul they is, is the they both fight, but Jake Paul is the one that fought. Oh, it's Jake Paul. Nate Robinson, yeah. Oh, fuck, let me change my notes here then, eh? Oh, Jake Paul. So I think, and me and Khan's talked this before, if if you give a hockey player six months to train, or not whatever it takes, you, you got to train some boxing. I think a guy like Revo knocks him the fuck out, no question asked. Like, what do you think, Ups? Yeah, I, fuck. I know Revo. I played with him for three years. But lucky to have him on my line, I got to play the way I did. Yeah. You know, mouth fucking chirping, yeah. fucking slashing the goalie, fucking do whatever I want with Revo on my line. Now, if he calls out someone, and that would be a great, a great till. I don't know if Paul would engage in a, in a hockey player. I think he wants to go bigger. He wants to yeah. fight Conor McGregor. Totally. He's, He's going to get killed. He's going to look go, like Nate Robinson. That will not go very well for him there. No. 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 Um, so, but yeah. Paul, step up to one of the hockey boys. I respect the hockey boys. Like, that's selling the game. Fucking right. Leonard, Leonard, the goalie for the Knights, calls him out. Fucking right. Stir the pot, right, Broadway? Oh, it's awesome. And like you said, Rebo would knock that kid out, I think, 30 seconds into the first round. He gets hit with one punch from Ryan Reeves. That is good night. Yeah, Rebo's not a boxer either, though, but you said give him six months. Give him three months. How how big is Jake Paul, though? Like, what did he fight out the other night? Like, 210 pounds? Or what what does he weigh? I don't even know what the fuck he weighs. Because Rebo was like 240. He looks huge. He looks way bigger than Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson's like 5'10, isn't he? No, Nate Robinson is known for. Nate Robinson's 5'7 or 5'8. Maybe he's known for being. He won the dunk contest three times, but he's short. Yeah, I'm just saying, Rebo. Fucking, even that Leonard. That Leonard's a. I don't know how big up you look it up, maybe, but. I think if he gets in the ring with a hockey player, that obviously this guy, all he does is train now, right? This Jake Paul, yeah. he, all he does is train and fuck around. With real on. trainers, yeah, too. Yeah, so right? he, he, he wants does to for do a living. it. 
But I just firmly believe, especially a guy like Revo, that's big. Revo's two twenty five, by the way. That's I, it? Yeah, when you said two forty, yeah, he's he's lean. Two twenty five. Yeah, but you see the size of his chest. At I the end, he was at least two forty. Is that a training camp or the end of the year he weighs two twenty five too? No, he just crushes fucking IPAs after wow. games on the. We would just crush him and I crush IPAs on the bird on the way home from games. So he's he's on an IPA diet. He stays thin. Wow, Rebo's, good for him. Yeah, Rebo's thin. So the so the the general consensus is that like the, a trained hockey player would beat. Does Evander Kane? I know you guys don't want to talk about Evander Kane. Does Evander Kane beat Jake Paul? <laughs> Jake mean, Paul, 189 pounds. 189 pounds. My weight. Wow. My weight. Yeah. Fly see, weight. so if he gets in there with Revo, fucking. He would lose. He would get his head knocked. He would get punched off. one time. You can't. Yeah. Evander Kane would knock him out too. Yeah, yeah. But Kane's like, he's 215, right? 210. Yeah, he's a big boy. Long arms. Interesting. But it, it's cool. And I love these hockey players firing out at it. So, um, Cons, anybody you'd want to maybe get in the ring for a pay-per-view? Is there anyone else? I, would, I mean, I just... <laughs> no, fuck listen, you, Let's get well, you in there on pay-per-view. Also, too, but... We'll you get know, you a sick missing curfew robe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I already listen, got some walkout songs for you. The, the, the truth is, like you said, just stepping in the ring alone oh, is ballsy, yeah. man. Especially on a card like that, all those people watching. I don't know what Nate Robinson was thinking other than I, I was a world-class athlete, and that's enough to, you know... I mean, he just looked terrible. I mean, it was... I don't know, man. That was bad. But but it was fun to watch, and it was like... But there did come a point where you're like, is he okay, right? Did anybody yeah. else have that? Yeah. When he was when he laid face down for about fucking a minute, I'm like... He was I hope down longer not, than that. Yeah, that's I'm like, how, I was planking. Right. That's how companies get sued, He was doing too, the plank challenge in the ring. <laughs> he was doing the... He was fucking out cold is what he was. I was like, this poor guy. I thought the ref should have stopped it after the second knockdown, but clearly the reason we bought pay-per-view to see someone get knocked out. And also, what would too, Peter the say? count, it was like a, they were doing 12 and 15 counts. He was still flat on his face yeah. at 10. My dad, would say, my dad would say he's out colder than piss on a plate. Is fucking what my dad piss on a plate. But it was a good spectacle. Snoop Dogg killed it. So, boys, boy Chuck came out to the, uh, this week saying his career's over with the eye injury and... Um, I have a lot of respect for the guy, Cons. I know he's an Islanders guy. Um, anytime a, you know, your, your career ends, you're a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, I feel bad for him, Oppie. So you did some research. Is, is he retiring or they put him on long-term IR, Updog? I think it's it's mutual, but long-term IR is... He's got two years left on his contract, so there's no way he's just going to retire, nor, nor should he. Uh, he deserves all his money, the way he plays, the leader he's been, his, uh, his reputation. Uh, I grew up with the guy, um, couple years younger than me but we both grew up in northern alberta his career path was very unique like early on in his career you wouldn't think he would be a guy that stuck around till 36 yeah. um nor would he you know help lead a islanders defense corps for a while sign a big ticket leaving boston uh but two eye injuries one in 2010 getting hit with a slap shot um Oh, wow. Broken orbital bone. Oh, no. And then 90 stitches in his eye here this past uh, spring. Those, those, are, those are injuries that are irreversible, I think, was the was the term he used. So we wish him the best, but congrats on a hell of a career. I know Jimmy, being from Boston, probably a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of fans love, uh, love the way he played. Yeah, he is, he is absolutely loved in Boston. He, uh, he scored some big goals in that playoff run when they won the Cup, and... He is known for that slap shot in the, the mean streets of Boston. Yeah. He's an awesome. I heard he's an unbelievable guy. Everybody in Boston had nothing but great things to say about him, even when I was there. And he's just a guy that every time I play the Islanders, he was always had a big smile on his face when he was playing the Bruins. Right-handed D-man with a big shot, Cons. You must have liked him in Long Island when he was there, right? Yeah, and, and to your point, I was impressed at how important he was 
last year and the year before. I mean, when when the Islanders uh, they got swept by uh, who was it that they, that swept them? They beat I don't know. They but he got hurt and they never won another game. Yeah, he's, won, yeah he's he's like a, he's a leader, and I I just didn't realize what a, an impact because you know sometimes defensemen or quietly, you know, lead the charge. I just didn't realize how important he was to that to that D squad because when he was gone, they were hurting without him, you know? Yeah, he was, he had a, vet, like, when you lose a veteran def defenseman with playoff experience, Stanley Cup champ, it's, it's tough to bounce back throughout the series. And I just want to touch on a guy who's a, who's a fan of the pod. Uh, he's coaching up in Sault Ste. Marie now in Ontario. Jordan Smith was his name. I played with him in Portland. He was the second rounder of the Ducks. I mean, this kid was the greatest teammate fight anyone him and cam jansen had fights in albany that would last a minute and a half he fought everyone blocked shots he was going to play right-handed shot good player great good, player good great kid. he was going to play in the nhl and i'll never forget it in portland he was just in front of the net worst timing whatever you want to call it he turns boom hits him in the face wasn't wearing a visor and unfortunately never played another pro game after that so jordan smith smitty i'm always thinking about you buddy i know you listen to the podcast and uh you're one of my favorite teammates and uh, that was a terrible night. So anytime an eye injury, and actually our guest coming on, um, who's an NHL veteran, he had a little trouble at near the end of his career. So we'll, we'll ask him about that too. But Boychuk, hell of a career. Smitty, always thinking about you. Also too, Boychuk, I mean, he's got the championship. Yeah, no, he's, he's got the millions career. of dollars. Maybe it's time to get out, you know? Yeah, no, it's a great run. And there was a quote this week from Kyle Dubas, the GM of the Leafs boys, who I always chirp about. You know, how he built his squad a little soft, how much money he spent. But there was a quote that he said, and Loops told us about Morgan Riley. Loops, when Loops played with Morgan Riley in Toronto, said he was a great kid, old school pro, would always pick up the check if they went out, just a great teammate. And this is two things. I'll give a teammate he is and how much people like Tyson Berry. He went into Sheldon Keefe's office and said, hey, give Tyson Berry my, first, my place on the first power play unit. Let's get him going. We need him going. And it turned Tyson Berry's season around. I mean, for a guy to do that, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's it has captain written all over it. You you look at the team and would would other guys on that team go in and do the same thing? Is what I I see. Um, you know, would Marner, Matthews, or Tavares go in and say, yeah, we need to get this, we need to get this guy going, put him out on my spot in the power play? I highly doubt it. Morgan Riley is a leader. I I had beers with him in uh, in Scottsdale a couple years ago. They had uh, they had their rookie party down in Old Town. Uh, went out the next day. Had had beers with him and a couple of their guys and you could just see the guys follow him and on a team like Toronto they need uh they need younger vets like him to help these younger kids kind of figure out how to play the game the right way how to act um and playing in Toronto is not easy you know we know what loops we know what loops went through um it's great when things are going well but yeah. it's not when it's when, when it's shitty and for him I think he realized Tyson Berry was kind of stuck in a shitty situation last year and he was doing whatever he could to get him out of there yeah Hazy what are your thoughts if you, you hear something like that you were a great team guy but for a player to give up his spot on the power play to get another guy going is pretty cool yeah, that's really cool, and that's uh, exactly, I think, the identity that the Toronto Maple Leafs have to move into. You know, they, all their studs on that team are already getting paid, and to him, it's about winning. And when your team wins, everybody wins, and for him to give up first power play minutes where a power play like Toronto's, who's got a high-end power play, there's a lot of cookies that he's going to give up, but it, it, that just goes to show you he could give two shits about his stats. He's going to let his play prove it to himself, and... He's trying to change the identity in Toronto, and he's doing it the right way. Yeah, I agree. It's and Loops, like I said, Loops told he's a great kid. Um, 
I know personally for myself, I was a good teammate, but if I was on that first power play unit, I, I, I don't know if I'm that <laughs> fucking good of a teammate, but I guess when you got your big contract and you want to get, and it, and be, it goes to say about Tyson Berry, a kid we love, that, that Morgan Riley said, hey, take my spot, Bears. We need you going. It's just a great team thing all around. And when I read it, I was like, fucking right, so that's hockey. Yeah, Even you know- psychologically, right? For, for, him to get that, for him to get that, like, hey, this guy's giving up his spot to get you going. I don't know. I would think I would think that would do just that alone. Would, hearing that news would do the trick, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's great for a dressing room, and there's off, there's a lot of questions about the Leafs dressing room. Obviously, with their their young talent, their leadership, they bring in Jumbo. I mean, hey, you got a kid like Morgan Riley that does this up, dog. I, I was already pulling for the kid, but now I'm I'm pulling for him even more. Yeah, maybe he learned off some older guys like Lupul, like Lupul, like right? How to pick up the check and fucking be a team guy. And then and then Lupo's think about good it. at both those things. <laughs> Sounds like a guy I want to hang out with. <laughs> hey, Broadway, I have a question for you. Do you think that Toronto, do you think that locker room is a tight locker room? Do you think those guys are tight or you think there's a little uh, a little tension in there? Because, by the way, it can, that, that can work. You know, you don't, that doesn't have to be the case. You don't have to be best friends. You handle business on the ice and go your separate ways. You think, what do you think the temperature of that dressing room is like? I think the the locker room is tight because for a guy to be able to do something like that, that just goes to show you how good a buddy he is. He wants to get his buddy going, and the best way to do it is put him on the first power play where we all know Tyson Berry can play. And then you see the the impact somebody like Patrick Malo had on um, Matthews and Marner. He, had, he treated those two guys like his son. So I feel like that group is pretty close. They just need to figure out, I think, like they said, the identity. about It's about winning. It's not about stats anymore. You think the big guns are tight? Do the big yeah, guns it seems have to like be it. tight? Marner and Matthews seem like their best friends. No, Marner and Matthews, I think, are tight. No, they're tight, but are they competitive enough to get each other, like, accountable when things aren't going well? Or are they just like, ah, you know, like, do they know how to engage with each other? Like, That's tight, my question. Tight, That's teams, tight teams you play on, not everyone's friends. You, you're, you don't have to be friends while you're at the rink. You need to be teammates. You be friends when you're away from the rink. At the rink, you fucking, as a teammate, you need to know how to push each other to be better, to keep guys fucking online in the right path. Because especially you're making fucking 10, 11 million bucks as a younger player and things aren't going well, all of a sudden it becomes about you, right? And then, like, who's going to fucking smack you and say, let's go? You're, You're 23, but you're making 10 million. You're our leader. This isn't about you. We need you to fucking pick up everyone else. I I don't know. So, cons... What you're asking is, like, are these kids making each other accountable yet? And who is going to be that guy to step up and, and be a voice? And I think that's what they're missing. So hopefully Jumbo is a guy that can do it. He's, yeah, Spezza Jumbo. was brought in last year, but I know him. He's not – he doesn't engage yeah. like that. I think Jumbo – This is a big year for them. This is a big year for them to – because, you know, like you said, Uppy, those guys, they're no longer the young guys. They're five, six years into the league. And like you said, they got to they gotta push each other to start winning games and – put a team that makes the playoffs and wins some rounds together here. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's just refreshing to hear something like that because I'm sure you two boys as well. I played with so many fucking selfish guys, and especially power play guys. Like, they get a little pee-pee spank, they go down the second unit, and they're fucking <laughs> sulking on the bench. I'm like, you're still playing 25 fucking minutes, all right? Relax. Yeah. Come down here. I'm playing 14 yeah. Yeah. and killing fucking penalties. So it's just nice to see. Their leash a, is long. Yeah, power play kid be like, all right, Bears, we need you going. So Morgan Riley... If you're listening out there, fucking rights, buddy. Boy, we, we appreciate you're a good team guy. Into one of my favorite parts here, the listener questions. To all our listeners out there, thank you. I put a little video video last week up asking for some questions, and fuck, they came out of the, they came out of the guns blazing. So we appreciate you. First one is for our captain in the booth. It's at Tim Barrett. He has a question for cons. My question to Kevin is: 
Can you explain to us what your role with the Islanders used to be on the road and in New York? And how did Lou stop your VIP access? Did he talk <laughs> I, to you I, or just strip you completely? <laughs> I, did, I joke around, but, you know, you have to understand, these guys, the, the, with Tavares and these guys early years, these guys are 21, 22 years old. They were young, and I don't know, Garth just felt like I loosened them up a little bit. So I had just kind of an access at the Coliseum and I did go on a road trip, but no, I, I joke around, but no, I never got official word from <laughs> Lou that I was cut out, but I know not to ask to save my ego because I know the answer. Fuck, we know the leadership he brings. That's exactly what he was doing. I would just love- Captain Cons. I would just love Lou being like, hey, Connolly, step into my office. Got to talk to you for a second. Here, close that door behind you. Fucking the Grim Reaper telling <laughs> well, you to we, come in. When we did the shovel uh, for the Belmont Arena, we were all there with the shovels and uh, I was like stuck outside like the Uber place that is just like Lou and I. It was the most awkward. Co Listen, I can make conversation with anybody. It was very uncomfortable. It was super awkward. Just there's nothing to say to each other. I was just trying to not get in trouble. I think he's a tough guy to talk to. Well, obviously, like you just said, if you couldn't have talk to him you can talk to anyone but yeah, yeah it, was, it was awkward but I, I don't know we'll see i can't wait till they put a goal sports bar in that new belmont rink i'll go That's in there the and have a couple That'd drinks nice. with you so great question tim next question is from con r cox this is for Coxie. us Coxie for us three national leaguers what current national leaguer broadway jimmy hayes if you had the opportunity to play with would you play with on the same line or on the same team um other than my brother? No. Uh, other than, no, other than no, your, that's a good question. <laughs> other than your fucking brother. Absolutely not. You're going to be looking me off. I, I have to go <laughs> with... looking you off. I, I would go with uh, probably Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane is a guy that he he was... like He just sets everybody up. Everybody in your team, you're scoring an extra 10 goals by mistake playing online with him. I remember there was a time I was in a pregame skate with him and he's going behind the net, throwing a no-look behind the back pass. And he literally told me, he's like, Hazy, you see me get the puck tonight right here, go to this spot, the puck being in a stick, put in the empty net. I saw it setting up, I went to the spot, puck came right in my stick, and I missed the empty net. I was <laughs> off the side the rest of the year. So I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. But the guy could draw plays in his head before the fucking game started. So he's a guy that I would love to he's play He's amazing. Yeah. He's done the American American hockey player yeah, proud. He, and, and speaking of your brother, uh, once again, shout out to Missing Curfew Clips, doing unbelievable stuff. Let's talk about the posting in on, on Hank at MSG. Wow. Minus one for Kevin Hayes. I said the Broadway likes likes the bright lights of MSG, baby. Oh, I loved playing in MSG, and I think I was out a little late that night before that game. So get a talk. <laughs> 100%. The boys going was even better. But then people would terp, uh, chirp in the toe drag. I said it was a toe-list drag. That's a, that's a deception play. If kids want to learn, I'll start a hockey school. I'll show you how to not toe drag and put one in the back of the net on on Hank Lundquist. You buckled Lundquist. You buckled him. Yeah, Jimmy, you, you see the flex in the stick? That was an 85 flex just letting that thing zip. That I did notice the pounds I leaning. did notice the flex in the slow-mo shot. I was impressed. Boys, that was this, a nice is a, this is a stroke off fucking Broadway style right now, but you've scored oh, a lot of goals it. like that. Coming oh, in like, like Ovechkin pull shot through Ovechkin. the D. Ovechkin. <laughs> Ovechkin. 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 Keep going up. Keep Ovechkin. going. Ovechkin. Keep fucking, going. <laughs> let's get the fucking jerkins out here. It's time to stroke Jimmy off. Hey, I actually, I learned that toe drag playing with James Van Riemsdyk. He was so good at it. We played a national development team together when we were 18, and I, every single shot, he'd pull it in and just snap it. He yeah. was like, he was the guy that I was like, this guy does this. I need to start doing this all the time. I loved your brother's response on missing curfew clips. 
Hank should have had it. <laughs> for 10 bananas, <laughs> Kevin, I agree, buddy. For 10 bananas, Kevin, you probably Kevin should have backchecked a little bit harder, but he's a good brother. He didn't want to lift my stick. Up dog, if you could snap around with one current NHLer and take him out after and get him laid, who would it be? Oh, well, the, the, you throw that in the mix. That changes things. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just things. added that story. I just added, I couldn't help myself. I, I mean, I like to go out and get anyone laid. It was it was part of my gig. Throwing rookie parties and getting guys laid was was oh, my full time job towards like the end. Like a human Tinder app. But no, you know what, boys? <laughs> I almost I almost got it done. But playing with ninety seven McDavid would have been. Oh. You know, I skate skate with him in Did Toronto in the summer. Listen, <laughs> I tried to keep up my first fucking practice in Edmonton, and my knee fucking gave out. So no, I couldn't keep up. <laughs> Pretty much trying to keep up with McDavid on the fucking Canada Cup drill. You know what that is, cons. But the Canada Cup drill, fucking my knee blew up, and that ended up being. My last uh, one of my last hurrahs, but no, I think anytime you can play with you know the likes of McKinnon or or McDavid, it's uh, it, it would be fucking special. So those those two kids would be for sure. Yeah, I'm gonna go with with the young kid Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. Really? I mean, the kid can skate for Fuck, days. He just had to stay at home there. Fuck, I would have went D to D to him, talk to him, communicate, take care of it. Boom, right to Yelltown after the game. It would have been a real nice deep pairing, Hazy. Instead of playing two years in Vancouver, I would have played 10. And fuck, I still probably be there if I would have had Quinn Hughes. He's the captain game, of the team right now. If people out there are listeners, a lot of people are in Canada, so you know of him. If you don't, watch him next year. This kid, he's unbelievable talent. Him and Cal McCarr will be the next two great defense with the NHL. But this Quinn Hughes, if I could play with him, I could still maybe play up, dog. Here's a guy that I like. Now, I don't know. It's a guy that you want to have on your team. And I know you guys seem to think that he's somehow slipping, but... The way Drew Doughty plays the game, he's like a serial killer out there. He's out there to win. He's mean. He's nasty. He hits. He scores, and he plays 25 minutes a game. Him and Patrick Kane are my guys. Drew, I mean, yeah, and you know what? Doughty, fuck, he's a legend. You're right, and he still competes. Oh, you see yeah. him sitting at the when it's not going. Like he's yeah. just, he wants to win, man. Yeah. He just does. I'm just interested. And to see. he loves to miss a curfew here and there. Oh, he'll he miss a fucking miss a curfew. curfew. I'm interested to see. Hopefully, LA turns around. I think they will. But that guy, I watched him play this year a lot. He fucking hates losing more than maybe anyone I've ever seen. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. I, I appreciate that quality. Yeah, like, I, I hope they can turn around if they can. I wonder how long Doughty would, because his new contract's just kicking in at this year, I think. Eight years at fucking eight bananas. Jesus. 69 bananas. <laughs> Holy fuck. Wow. He's got to figure something out. And why Why do you guys seem to think he's, did you, was it you, one of you two? That I just said, said, he, he I, I said he's played a lot of hockey. He's played, you know, been in the Stanley Cup Finals twice, plays over 30 minutes, Hockey Canada stuff. The way he plays the game, he's up and down the sheet, he's physical, he's he blocks still young. shots. I just said he's got a lot of miles on him, forever old he is, 31 maybe, 32. Any injuries? He's younger he's, than Tavares. He's played a lot of hockey. He plays harder than Tavares. Yes, he does. So, yeah. I mean, it'll Tavares, be, he plays more. It'll yeah. be, yeah. He plays more, more games. games. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he comes off this 14-month break. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true. A lot of so. beers be t- fucking drink up in, uh, up in London, London, Ontario. There. I guess he built just an absolute banger shack in Hermosa <laughs> Beach. I guess it's like... He hasn't besides, even, oh. I guess he hasn't even been in there. I guess it's besides Stoli Babes, it's just a banger. He's, so got, like one of the, he's got like one of the best houses out there, right? Hey, Dewey, if you're listening, leave us the keys. We'll go up there. We'll check it out for a yeah, weekend. Yeah, we'll do a little content piece code, with them. Dewey? Do a live What's interview. What's the fucking code? <laughs> Last question, um, and thanks again for these questions. Listeners are awesome. We had fun with them. I don't know how to say this fucking guy's handle. Lugan, I don't know. Lugan, don't, don't even, don't even it. attempt it. Hardest visiting barn to play in throughout your career, boys, or whatever rank you had that you just had a bad fucking game in. I'll start. I had a few, more than just yeah, one. I don't know where to start. I had a fucking few. <laughs> the old Rexall place in Edmonton. Oh, I love Always that dark barn. going the fucking rank. 
They had fast teams that they didn't care about defense. They were flying the fucking zone all the time. Taylor Hall, Everly sneaking in behind me. I was usually fucking a little hungover from the West Coast trip, <laughs> going to the game, the old Rexall place. I had a lot of da- I had a lot of minuses like the fucking weather there. I'm Sam Rexall. Well, thank God McDavid's not out there. Oh, thank fuck. God you're not out there against I know. McDavid. You think it was bad before? Oh, yeah. fuck. <laughs> it would have been real ugly. He would have snuck behind you for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> Mine is uh, 100,000% is Winnipeg. Ooh. Fucking Ooh. small barn. I love Shitty Winnipeg, hotel, though. shitty beds, fuck, shitty some... fucking pregame meal. Other than the Timmy Ho's fucking coffee, there's nothing good and about it. And, and the Earl's Girls. Well, the they Earl's have a fuck. I never really got to go out much there. No? Nah, I don't have to practice the day before the game. Was right unbelievable. It was, fuck. I don't know. No, it, I'm with you. It's a tough Winnipeg part to in plan. the summer, maybe. Yeah. You know, got a lot of good looking girls, but um, my days in Winnipeg, I, I dreaded all of them. I agree. That's I had a couple bad games. And a tough barn. They tough played barn. hard. They Small. Played. They had big teams. I agree. Broadway, what do you got? The two places that come to mind for me were Carolina and Buffalo. But Carolina especially. <laughs> I just always suck in Carolina. I remember I had a shift that was like two minutes long. I honestly wanted to pick the puck up and call a timeout on the ice. I just couldn't. Like, my lungs, I think I was done for the rest of the game. Two minutes, I probably played just two and a half. Just flip it over the glass, Jimmy. Oh, I would have taken the two-minute penalty and get the pims up. I have a question for you guys. Aside from, like, Upshaw, you're, I'm not sure. I didn't read the listener question, but he's talking about what, you're talking about the hotel and the beds and the bars and the, I, I, I maybe no, no, the question the, he's referring it was more to, the like, rink. The isn't rink. the shark tank a oh, tough place to play yeah, with the but- fans? Like, what barn is rocking with the fans and, and it's rowdy and it's a t- it's tough to play in with the home ice advantage? Yeah, well, I, I thought I was going more from a personal perspective or individually had bad games, but when you're talking for a team perspective, the United Center, the Madhouse, always tough to get away oh, yeah. there. Met that Chicago? Chicago and sick. the Shark Tank in San Jose was hard. And if you want to talk about a rink where you never went in and got two fucking points, Joe Louis Arena. I mean, they, yeah, didn't, yeah. they didn't beat you physically, but you didn't have the puck the whole fucking game and they just like... Zatsuk to Zetterberg to Lindstrom fucking boom 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 and snapping it around get some little Caesars pizza and get the fuck out of there (laughs) no let's touch on St. Louis too for a while for for the Hitchcock years their teams were big hard used to go in there they would fucking run you through the glass and and before I was there like 2010 to 2015 hard teams to play against always um, but no, I I just thought Winnipeg's fucking rink was was hard to play in. It, it was is just, hard to play. It's in. the middle of fucking winter. It's dark. You get it to the rink. It's pitch black. You go in there. You know it's like you got a fucking small barn against a good team that's just fucking running around, buffling and fucking meatheads. Yeah. So I don't know. I would Thorburn always, and Thor's, fucking man, that other fucking tough guy there too. What about like, you, Broadway? Jesus. Um, Boston, when I was playing in Boston, when we went up to Montreal, that was always a crazy time to play against Montreal. They, they always packed it in. They always had great fans regardless, but especially against Boston with that rivalry going, that was uh, that was always a tough place to try to get two points. And I know, Jimmy, you said that you liked playing at the Coliseum because you just scored say, a bunch t- of goals. I'll tell you where I got a lot of wins is the fucking Coliseum for yeah. my career. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I went in there. I went right back into Manhattan. Thank you, you for the two points. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, you remember when... Uh, we went out after some Islander game. You, were, I don't even know what team you were on. We were playing. Yeah. And we we got in the car. We were like talking about the game, and I was like, "Yeah, well, it was sudden such a that was just a garbage goal." And you're like, "Yeah, but I did pick up the helper on that one." I'm like, "Oh shit, I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't know that." I'm like, "It was a garbage goal, but I got the apple on that one, Con, so." But but um, come on. Do you think you could have handled that Tavares? What they did to Tavares? That was heat. I mean, I told you this, Kev, when it happened. 
I always knew the Islanders had a passionate fan base, but when Tavares came back for his first game there... Did you watch were, that, Jimmy? Yeah. They yep. were driving over his fucking jersey and lighting it on fire. I'm like, holy fuck, Cons, you guys are no <laughs> and the joke. the Leafs were giving him a and o the next night at oh, home. Oh, God, they I made know. it John Tavares Day. That's, that's why they're so soft. <laughs> also, too, the other thing, you know, they, they went on and on about, like, how terrible the Islander fans were. A 13-year-old girl threw their Tavares jersey at Tavares. And, and that, the whole fan base... Became like animals for doing that. It was a 13 year old girl. Wow. That's Don't it. fucking leave Long and Island. And one guy eh? threw a, like a fake island. snake on the ice. Like they acted like, uh, you know, they keyed the guy's car. Well, no, in the parking lot, they were driving over his jersey, lighting it on fire and, and they shit. They do that all the time. <laughs> they do that all the they, time. They, no, no, news. I'm saying lots of teams do that. Lots of pro teams. I don't know do that, if right? a lot of fans do that, cons or not. Do you think they, well, they light his jersey? You know, like we could have got a couple Cleveland. first rounders for him. <laughs> <laughs> a couple first rounders for him. I, mean. uh, I love you, boys. I could do this all fucking day. Thanks for our listeners' questions. Updog, we got a Hall of Fame guest coming on again here. So another one. We got another Hall of Famer Broadway coming another in. One. Some, another DJ one. Another Khaled. <laughs> so thanks, boys. We'll be right back with this unbelievable guest. Welcome back to Missing Curfew here. Updog, we got another Hall of Fame guest. Another one. Another fucking Hall of Famer. Another one. An absolute legend. An absolute legend who I was lucky enough to play my rookie year. Sit in the same side of the dressing room as them. So uh, I want to welcome over a thousand NHL games, Stanley Cup champion, gold medalist, all this nonsense, Chris Pronger. Prongs, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Obes, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us here on Missing Curfew. Yeah, I've missed a couple myself, so I fit in. <laughs> I was going to ask you, in your younger years, starting in Hartford and stuff, was there was there a veteran that maybe took you out after curfew more than the next guy, or who was a, who was a veteran for you that kind of took you under your wing? You got to remember back when I first started, there was no buddy that was in before curfew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're following Kevin Deneen, you definitely yeah. <laughs> so uh, to say that there was one would be probably an understatement. But uh, no, I had uh, Brad McCrimmon was brought into Hartford my my rookie year to be my mentor, and I roomed with him on the road, and uh, you know drove to the rink with him at home, and uh, you know he was. I guess you could say kind of my babysitter, kind of my mentor, kind of, uh, uh, he was my partner my first two years in Hartford. So spent a lot of time with the beast and I uh, love the guy, miss him, uh, miss him dearly, but uh, uh, he was great for my career. And it's funny how as an 18 year old coming in the league and listening to him at the time of 36 and then coming full circle when I was 36, I'm like, shit, everything he told me was bang on. It, it happens How like that. How your career is going to roll out. You always need a veteran guy, especially when you're younger and you brought in as a high draft pick. I was in Nashville and uh, our first rookie party, Scott Walker sets everything up, right? And then so I'm like, in walks, is like, all right, this is what's going on. We got the limos picking us up. We're going to go have dinner, Fort Lauderdale. And we're going to the casino after. And I'm just like, all right, so this is what you got to do. You like, you learn from guys like that. And yeah. it just so happened walks like to enjoy his beers. And that was exactly <laughs> I, like the way I was back then. So, but yeah, no prongs. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Are you in uh, St. Louis right now? I'm in the loo. Yes, sir. St. Louis. Speaking big. of the loo, I got to ask you about all summer here. I got to be honest. I watched them, but a lot of golf videos prongs. I'm talking from the fairway, from the tee box to the fairway, to the green, uh, does that distract you trying to sell your golf game? Your, your, your swing looks pretty good, but what's with all the golf videos, buddy? I, have, I had to ask you. Yeah, you know, I thought uh, during the, the 
coronavirus meltdown here, the pandemic, <laughs> I figured I'd give people something to look at. <laughs> Some greenery, Staying if you hip, will, for, with those the content. That, for those that couldn't leave their house and, uh, you know, socially distance. And I will say I went, uh, I think it was in March, right? When the lockdown first happened, I went golfing and I posted a picture by myself at the golf course. And uh, I had some, just one random type in, oh, I, you should be home. And I was like, peace, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I pay my dues here at Bella Reeve. So uh, I'm going to be, is that where you're playing? I'm at uh, Old Warson. Oh, nice. Old Warson. There's some great, golf, knows, just great golf clubs. I mean, I, 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 the both courses you were playing, he was playing that one and Bella Reeve. I'm like, fuck prongs. As soon as this COVID's over, hit me up. I'll come out there and play those nice Midwestern tracks with you. The rough's a little long for my liking, though. I saw the long Midwestern Kukuya rough. You know? grass. No, it was just like the long, thick rough that Prongs was trying to hit his seven iron out of the whole video that I was watching. So I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> Is Big Walsh to Chuck a member at any of those places? Yeah, he's a member of my course. Nice. How's his golf game? Uh, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that no, was well said. He's steady. He's steady. He's got to be the first guy out every day, though. He plays in uh, two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. That's not like, a whole lot of uh, waiting to warm up or do anything. It's get your ball, hit it, and keep going. Don't stand <laughs> over the ball too long. No That's practice my, swings. Me too. Get right in there. Uh, no, they're very little, if any, practice swings. <laughs> Prongs, let me ask you about golf. I'm not a big morning tea time guy. What's your ideal time? When would you like to tee it up? After lunch, when do you like to get out there? Uh, uh, no, I'm, uh, typically I got a game that I play in that's nine o'clock. Okay. Every okay. once in a while, I'll go out with Walt or somebody at, uh, seven or seven 30. Uh, but typically the, the game that I play in is at nine. Okay. Perfect I, time. I, I, I can like handle the rink well, in the morning. Prime time. I can handle nine. I can handle, I can handle nine. Yeah. Obes, I got three kids. I'm up at six anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I could be home at three. I'm still getting up at six. That's like the Getzloff program here. We always yeah. text Getzy to golf around noon, and he's like, guys, I've been up since six with coffee and Bailey's. Like, I'm, I'm ready to play at 730. Yeah. No, <laughs> Prongs, listen, I'm waking up now at 730. I'm, I'm, I'm waking up at 730. I wish that would have been my younger years. I would have never been late for practice, for fuck's sakes. Like, you know, I'm I always know. up What now. the hell? Brutal. If only, you know, you were getting in at 7.30 instead of getting in. <laughs> <laughs> he still gets in at 7.30 here and there. Frogs, I want to I ask you about a guy who I have a lot of respect for, and I know he loves you, is Brian Burke. He just came out with his book. Uh, he drafted you in Hartford, traded for you in Anaheim. I love Burke, a good Irish man. Just talk to our listeners about your relationship with him, what he meant to you, and, and how much he loved you as a player. Yeah, he, uh, so my, my draft year, uh, he was a GM in Hartford, uh, they scouted me quite a bit. Uh, he made the big trade up in the draft from six to two to get me. I'm sure it's in his book. And if it's not, he'd love to tell it for the 1,000th time, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he loves talking about He's that. He's a good and, talker. And the Sadine trade he likes to talk about. Too. Yes. And, uh, you know, so I obviously go way back with him. And then uh, he left to go work at the league office and just happened to run the uh, supplemental discipline department. And, I made a few trips in to see him there. <laughs> and then he was GM in uh, Vancouver and and uh, obviously played against them when I was here in St. Louis and Edmonton. But uh, uh, and then he brought me down to uh, to Anaheim from Edmonton. And, um, you know, I think having the opportunity to, you know, understand kind of what he's all about when I was a rookie, when I was 18 years old, and then to be able to go play for him at 31 and understand kind of, how he runs his teams, what he asks of his players, 
what he expects from his players. I think as a veteran at the time, that's what you want out of your your GM, your management, you know, to set set the example and and the expectation of of not only excellent excellence but creating a, a culture of winning. And then you know he's very philanthropic and gives back to to a number of of different charities and, and the military and, and and all the rest of that. Um, you know, I think as athletes and as players, I think you find charitable endeavors that that kind of touch close to you and, and hit home with you, whether it's um, I'm, I'm just getting involved with the American Heart Association here. And, uh, you know, Lawrence, my, my wife's uh, father passed away from a stroke. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different things. And Berkey was always about giving back and, and being a part of the community in that regard. But there was one caveat always, and that's you got to show up and win. Yeah. And you got to play. And if all that stuff is getting in the way of winning, uh, it doesn't work. And you got to show up and compete and be prepared to play and then be a good steward in the community and a good citizen. Yeah, yeah, prongs. And and that team in 06, we guys won the Stanley Cup. It was my rookie year, my first year in NHL, and I came in that dressing room, and I'll be honest, when I first met you, I was a little fucking intimidated, right? I was like, holy fuck, this is Chris, <laughs> this is Chris Pronger, right? And you were great for me. You, you took me under your wing. I mean, just watching was great, but explain to the listeners that team, the dressing room, the mentality we had, because for me, it was my rookie year, but it was the best team I ever played in on sorry and you guys won the stanley cup from your perspective as such a big part what was that team like for you well i think having played them the year before when i was in edmonton and and we went on to to lose in the stanley cup final to, to carolina when i was brought in i mean i was brought in with one goal in mind and that was to win the stanley cup and and i think with randy coaching and his philosophy kind of matching with what berkey was looking for from his team uh i came in and it was like listen this is our goal you know you got Scotty coming in to play with Robbie Niedermeyer. You got Tamu coming back and healthy. You got uh, Sean O'Donnell hadn't won. Todd Marchand hadn't won. You know, we got a young Chris Kunitz. We got young you, Getsy, Pears, Penner. Uh, you know, we got Andy McDonald. We got Sammy Paulson. Great team. You know, we had a good mixture of, wow. of old guys, young guys, and middle-of-the-road guys. And when you look at the way that we played, I think that, that was the most fun for me is – we could play tough. We could play finesse. We could play a high-scoring game. We could play a low-scoring game. I mean, it really is like you throw the puck out there and look at the other team and go, how do you want to play this? Yeah, exactly. And kind of let it roll from there. And, and we could drink you with you, too. You have that type of, those types <laughs> of weapons that you can do that. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I agree, Prongs. And like like the way he said, we could play it any which way. And my maybe the highlight of my time there was was Prongs on the bench. Who was, who was our D coach? I think his name was Dave Ferris or something. But I'll tell you, <laughs> most nights Prongs was running that back end. I'll tell you that right now. Because I just remember Prongs being like, I'm going right now, Dave, and out, out you would go. But uh, honestly, Prongs, you know, we had Joe Vaughn here last week and he was talking about passing the puck hard. And, you know, my rookie year to me, you said that to me right away. You said this is the National Hockey League, pass the puck hard and flat. And and just watching you day in and day out, buddy, it was, it was a treat for me. And, um... Do you remember the time we all went to the Roxy as a whole team? We brought you out, Todd Marchand came out, and then Marshy missed the bus in the morning. Do you remember that? Yeah, we had that. We had to hold it, and then he, I'm calling him, calling him. Somebody had to run up and knock on the door, and yeah, he, he wakes up. Like the, the boys come on the bus, nowhere, like, nowhere to be found, didn't yeah. pack his bag. I'm like, oh, my God, Marshy, who taught you? The first thing McCrimmon taught me was before we leave for the game, 
Make sure your bags are packed and they're by the door so that when you get back and you wake up, you pick up your bag and you go to the bus. <laughs> That's your job. That's the road Bible right there. Oh, man. I remember the they up come, dog taught me that trick. They come on the bus prongs and they look at the front of the bus and there's me, Penner, Getzlav, Perry, and we're like, they're like, who are we waiting for here? And then someone in the back is like, it's T-Bone, and they had, they had, they had to go get Just him. keep your visine, your toothbrush, and toothpaste out. That's all you need. Just a fresh, fresh shower <laughs> and that right there, you're yeah. good to go. Steve Bone had a tough practice, if I recall, Obi. Oh, he sure did. Uh, I just read a quote from from Berkey talking about players um, who put Canadian teams on their trade on their no trade list, and he described it as like you have a chance to go play in Canada towards the last little bit of your career. If you get traded up there, it'll be the best part of your your career because the people love the game the most and love you the most. Prongs, would you say that's something you got a chance to play in Edmonton? I know it was probably middle of the road for you before you actually won, but uh, what was it like playing in Canada? And, you know, would you say that more guys should, as Canadian players, you know, get a chance to play up there if they can? No, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, one of the highlights of my career, being able to play there. You know, it would have it would have made all the world a difference, winning Game 7 versus losing Game 7 at Carolina and, and, and winning a Stanley Cup in a Canadian city in Edmonton. It was, uh, you know, the, the vibe and energy in the city during that, Stanley Cup playoff. And then as we continue to win and, and go further on, I mean, the way the city rallied and, and uh, you know, the energy in the streets and uh, Electric Avenue. And I mean, yeah. it was it was crazy how wild the city was. I remember that year, you guys, I think you won eight to 10 games to get in the playoffs. I think last year, were you the eighth seed when you got in? We were eight. We were the eighth seed. We beat, uh, we had to beat Detroit who had 130 points that year. Crazy. And I think they might have lost nine games. <laughs> However, two of those nine games were to the uh, sneaky Oilers. So going into that series, we weren't scared. I, I wouldn't say we were scared. I mean, we knew what we were dealing with, but we felt like we could beat them uh, if we played correctly and, and and within our, you know, the way we wanted to play. And, and we, we played it to a tee. Yeah, no, I just being from Edmonton, I, I remember that run. I remember, you know, we were good buddies with a good friend of our podcast, Jarrett Stoll. So watching him as a younger guy, uh, you were talking about Anaheim's middle of the middle of the pack type of players that stepped up their game and the younger guys. You need that all to kind of click if you're going to have a successful run. Um, but, you know, I do remember Edmonton just uh, buzzing off and. Uh, you know, what a city it would be to win. I had a chance later on in my career, my last training camp, to be in Edmonton to almost make a team that I grew up watching. would have been something special. So I would say to all those Canadian players out there, it's, it's you know, something you should cherish if you ever get a chance to go play in Yeah, in I Canada. just remember from that run, Prongs doing his thing, obviously, in front of the net. Roy, the goalie, was absolutely kicking. <laughs> and Fernando Pisani was sniping every fucking night and ended up getting oh. a deal like four years lifetime. to 30 bananas or something. Yeah, then Fernando. he was a fourth liner, so... Uh, yeah, no, he was he was lights out. He made, he scored some big goals for us. Broadway, what do you got for prongs? Prongs, there's uh, there's some rumors out there that you were kind of like a Michael Jordan when it came to some of the teammates. There was like that you were hard on the young guys. And what was that like? Were you expecting a certain type of uh, professionalism uh, professionalism out of these young guys? Whether that uh, you were hard on these guys, like why was that type of uh, rumor out there? Um, I would yeah, I would say I was hard on them because. You know, similar to Michael Jordan, they're not the ones that are going to take the brunt from the media and the fans. It's going to be me. Yeah. And they need to get better. And I, and it's not good enough just to be in the league. It's not good enough just to play a couple shifts. It's it's about getting better and developing and, and being a pro. And, 
and having goals and expectations, no matter what they are, whether it's OB playing, you know, having the, I mean, think about the lottery this guy just won. He's sitting beside Tamu Solane, Bob <laughs> <Todd> Marchand, <laughs> myself. We got Paris, Obi, Penner, Slav, and uh, Solane, Marchand, and me. Yeah, it was a sick corner. Fucking smelled like booze a lot of morning's prongs, but it was good. <laughs> were, were you hard on Obi prongs? I had a, a nose thing every once in a while with these guys. <laughs> hey, were you hard you on Obi? Ob says I had a couple, took it I will say I had a couple rules. Yeah. I all, you know, the shaving and the drinking and the, you know, all that stuff kind of is out the window. The only thing I made the rookies do that people are kind of like, why would you do that? I made the rookies get off the bus last. Yeah, you did. Yes, That's you the only did. I thought that was standard. I did. And the reason I did that is, and every one of them, as I talked to them later are all like, I get it. Yeah. Because it was something, it was like a rite of passage. They're now able to get onto the, off the bus first. Hey, you earned your stripes, kid. You've paid your dues. Now you get to come off with the rest of us, and you're not belittling them. It's 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 not like it, and it's something they can shoot for. It's a goal they can say, well, I want to get there next year. And how do you get there? Well, you got to keep getting better because you got to make the team and you got to do this. You know, especially as things progress here in our world and our our coach culture, and everything goes to shit in a handbasket. Um, <laughs> you know, I think. Allowing That's people the ability to, to set expectations and goals and figuring out a simple metric as getting off a bus. Yeah. Some people might look at it as, as demeaning. I looked at it as the ability to, you were a rookie the year before, and now, hey, come on, kid, you get off before me. Let's go. Yeah. Come on. We got a big game to win. Yeah, and that's and I, and prongs. Honestly, that was a thing. I remember Ryan Shannon. We only had like three rookies that year: Penner, myself, and Ryan Shannon. And Shannon was a great kid, <clears throat> coming from Boston College or BU. I think he went to Boston College. Boston College. And, and early on the road trip, he got off the he got off the bus before prongs and the veteran guys or, or was getting on the plane before and. and Prongs let him have it a little bit. And I was like, after Prongs with the back of the plane, I'm like, Shani, just don't fucking eat before the veteran guys. And he figured it out. And that was something later on in his career. I played against him and I was like, hey, remember when Prongs lit you up? He's like, yeah, but it was a great fucking lesson for me. And, and I will say this about Prongs. Yeah, Prongs was easy on me my rookie year. Like, but, but he held you accountable. And the thing you compare to Michael Jordan is Prongs, what I always respect about you is when practice started, you went out there, you fucking snapped it around, got your workout in, and then you started joking around. That was one of the things that I learned from you. When it's practice time, it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the, the great part about pro sports, as we know, is the locker room joke around having a good time, but there's also work that needs to be done in preparation for, for games, for road trips, for playoff series, whatever. And when it's time to put the work in, you need to put the work boots on and get to work and make sure you're prepared to, to do what you need to do to win hockey games. Touching on part of the game, uh, speaking to media is part of our game. A lot of us do it. Obi did it well. <laughs> Obi has some great clips where he's either talking about why the coach fucking sat him because <laughs> he wasn't fighting. Yeah, mine were just about getting healthy scratched. <laughs> so, but Prongs, uh, talking to a couple of your ex-teammates, uh, Scotty Hartnell had a chance to play with you in Philly for a few years. Um, and he loved the way, you know, Hartsy is a fucking character, right? So he loved the way he used to handle the media. You know, that we're not going to get into the he said, she said. <laughs> you have some of the best one-liners online. Can you can you tell us how uh, or, or who you learned that from or how you uh, came about to, to really take that under under control like a media scrum? Because you're great at it. You know what? I, it, it's just practice. And <laughs> I mean, if you saw some of my early work, I've got a video of me and Junior in Peterborough 
being asked about signing my contract to play in Peterborough, and the guys, oh, you're excited about about playing? Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think Bill it, Belichick. Experience. It's it's understanding. I would say early in my career in St. Louis as a young captain, I was probably too intense and too uh, fiery and and took too much to heart and too much personally. And then as I gained experience and aged a little bit, my temperament changed. They're doing a job, you know, win, win or lose, they're going to ask you about whatever. Uh, by the time I got to, to Philly, I, I, you know, as you know, Philly media is a, a roll of the dice. You never know what you're going to get. And I met with them when I first got traded there. And I said, listen, I will meet with you every single day. I will talk to you. I will answer every one of your questions. If you ever misquote me, you're dead to me. <laughs> I will never, ever talk to you. I will never give you a quote. I won't talk to anybody in here if you misquote me because if you're here, you're getting a quote. And you know what? I, I met with them every single day. I talked to them. But then there's also the, you got to have some fun with it too. Like, I mean, it's monotonous. I mean, it, listen, Oba, you're a media superstar now. It's monotonous. <laughs> yes, right over and over and over again. So you got to, you know, good Lord willing, I hope we win. You know, you got to change it up a little bit. And I used to, you know, have fun with, who gets the first question. And I had a bit of a reputation in St. Louis when I was here and we had just lost the, you know, to, to lose the series. And a young intern was at in the scrum. And for whatever reason, I looked up and she just happened to be right in front of me. And I'm like, yeah, you got the first question. And she goes, so what do you have to do to uh, get back in the series? <laughs> and now uh, we're out. Oh We've lost. Oh God. Oh, and no. all the other media are around and they're like backing up out of the way, thinking I'm going to absolutely snap. And I look up and I go, well, that's going to be difficult because we're out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you at training you know, camp think, next year. I think a lot of it has to do with age and having kids and realizing they've got a job to do. You know, I think when you're young and fiery and, and as intense as I was when I, in my younger years, you have a lot of this with the media. And, you know, later on in my career, it was a lot of fooling around and having fun with them, making them work for it, you know, make them ask the right question. If they don't give me the question, I'm not going to answer it for them. I'm not going to do their job. Um, <laughs> you know, and when they know that, it turns into a bit of a game where they've got to ask. They got to think of makes them think and actually makes them enjoy their job because they've got to ask the right questions. Well, I mean, as a fan, you know, you watch these these press conferences and 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 sometimes I mean, I get it. They have a job to do, but sometimes it's just absolutely ridiculous. Maybe Tortorella's a little over the top. He's, maybe. 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 I mean, <laughs> at a certain point, do you go, let's just not interview the guy. He's going to yell at us. Belichick, yeah. like, cut these guys loose. Marshawn Lynch. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And at a certain point, you go like, well, I mean, I, I, some questions are just so ridiculous. How are you supposed to answer those questions, particularly after a tough loss yeah. or you're out? I, I don't know. I, I feel like there should be some accountability for some of the media, in my opinion. And, I, and Prongs, we watched the video on the car right up. There's just like a minute video of you near the end of your career, and you chirped that Burrish. And oh, I that. fucking wanted to kill that Adam Burrish my whole career. They, they, they go to Burrish after, like, yeah, I hate Pronger. He's the biggest dick. I'm going to punch him in the face. And they ask you after, he's like, where, in the minors? He's going to punch him in the face <laughs> in the minors? But the one thing I did notice 
with you, Prongs, and I, I compare it to like a guy like Roberto Luongo in Vancouver. Like when you guys are superstars like yourself and you're dealing with the media every day and there's not just one guy, there's 10 fucking microphones. The way you handled it and made like made it a joke and made it fun, like I used to think like Prongs isn't being a prick. He's just trying to make it more enjoyable because I remember Luongo Prongs in Vancouver, like it would eat him up, man, and it would affect his game. And I'd be like, Lou, try to have fun with it. And I think you did a good job of that, right? You know, at the end of the day, they've got a job to do and they they need to figure out how to write something different every single day. Yeah. And make it interesting that somebody's going to want to read it. Once I got kind of keen to understanding the marketing of the game a little bit and understanding you got to change what you're saying a little bit, you know, where you could talk to Joe Sackick, he's going to give you the exact same line every single time. And it just, that's him. Paul Crea, that's him. And they, you know, you know, you get JR going in a completely different stratosphere <laughs> and just wanted to drum up something to drum it up. Yeah. And, you know, I think I just was like, okay, they want an answer. You're like, fans just want an answer. You don't have to throw teammates under the bus. You don't have to, you know, start pointing fingers in that regard. But you can talk in general terms and be like, we didn't play well enough. We sucked. We, you know, I think in Philly, they respected the fact that I would just say we weren't good. A lot of times guys don't want to say you weren't good. Oh, we had an off night. No, you didn't have an off night. You sucked. You weren't <laughs> good tonight. You know, whether you were tired or not is immaterial because the fan that paid yeah. $400 to sit on the glass doesn't want to hear that you were tired. Yeah. They want to hear that you tried and they want to hear that, you know what? Next time I'm going to do better. I'm going to play better. And that's the hard part for a lot of people to, to understand. And, and some people, listen, I get sick and tired of getting asked questions over and over again and count the number of times that some guy tries to ask a question. You do not answer his question, but you give him an answer and they want to ask it 10 times and you keep giving them the same answer. <laughs> and finally you look at him and go, Hey, asshole. Like I'm not <laughs> answering that question. <laughs> I don't care how many times you ask it. I'm not fucking answering. You can it. ask it all you want. And I, I'm going to be able to steer this. However you want me to do it, but I'm going to keep giving you the same answer. And, you know, once they understand that, they they leave you alone a little bit. Hey, hey, Prong, so we were talking about this kid from uh, Seattle, Metcalf, this this receiver. And I yeah. guess that, I don't know if you guys saw this, but the defensive coordinator of the Eagles was like, I was in Detroit when Megatron was there and this guy's no Megatron. And then the quote from Metcalf was, yeah, that pissed me off. And then he went and ran all over the field. So were there ever times where you would hear secondhand things through the media that would give you a little extra pep in your step during a game, or did you not need that? Uh, no, I used absolutely everything. <laughs> I never, when the media asked me about another player, I never complimented the player. I never said it was going to be tough. I never, I never really talked about other players. I just, nope, I'm prepared. I know what I got to do. That's who I got to shut down. Are you worried about it? Nope. You scared? No. Are you, you know, like, don't give him anywhere to go with yeah. that. But I used to hear things, oh, oh, so-and-so said that you're, he, this guy's better than you are, and I'm just tucking in the old Rolodex, and every once in a while, you, oh, oh, who's the assistant coach on the team? Oh, shove it up his ass as hard as you can. And, you know, every once in a while, you just give, give a guy a look, and, and he knows. Yeah. They know. They, like, they fuck, remember. I shouldn't have said that. Fuck. You shouldn't <laughs> say that at all. No. A lot of good Much coaches. Like, you know, you bring it up. And when I was watching the Jordan thing, all the things that he used as motivation and all the little things, like when he lied about the kid that 
yeah. schooled him the one day and then he just torched him for 60 and ended the guy's career. Like I, I used, you know, riding the bike in the summer, you know, you bring up whether it's losses or times you got, you know, everybody loses some type of one-on-one battle. Some, somebody's going to put it through your stick and go the other way. Every, it happens again. There's too many times you're on the ice. There's too many players you're playing against. Everybody gets beat, but I would use every single one of those little losses or little cross in you to train harder, to work harder in practice, to and just prepare for a game and watching little clips at home. You know, you watch the highlights and you see the way a guy scores. Like, all right, he's going to try that. Yeah. And it's sure enough, the guy's going to try it. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah what what would you do against some of these kids now who try to take you wide i would oh love my. to see you take a fucking oh. guy into the corner nowadays with well the he gets the suspended <laughs> well he had yeah and he used to too but there was no way you were going to go in a corner and win a battle against chris pronger no. there was just no I, fucking I, way. I i tell this story and it, it kind of you know it was at the end of my career when i got to philly i uh we were playing washington and why Nicholas Backstrom wanted to do this, I have no idea. But I go back, I get the puck, I pass it to Matt Carl, and Nicholas Backstrom just kind of rubs me out. And I give him a little whack in the back of the knee. I'm like, what are you doing? And he looks at me, I go, don't you touch me. And he kind of looked back at me. I'm like, okay. Of course, there's a face-off. He gets kicked out of the face-off and comes over to my side. Sure enough, off the draw... Sorry, I look at him. I'm like, do not ever touch me again. (laughs) Go back. Puck gets dumped into my corner. Here he comes. I go back. I get it. He does the power turn. Fly by. You know, when you get the reputation and you do certain things, that's one of the things that I always had my game. But something that Brad McCrimmon talked about was being unpredictable. And there's a lot of times on the ice, I didn't even know what I was going to do. So if I don't know what I'm going to do, then how can they know what I'm going to do? So I would do virtually anything and and did pretty much anything to players either coming in or, you know, going to get pox or what have you just to be unpredictable. And, you know, nobody wants to go in there or they have that little subtle hesitation. And all you need is that hesitation to get the puck and go the other way and I See just ya. I just remember my my rookie year sitting on the bench, which I did a lot because you and Pro, you and Norm never came off the ice, which you shouldn't have. But <laughs> I remember watching you in front of the net prongs and being like, when I fucking establish myself as a player, I'm gonna fucking protect the front of the net like, like you that. do in summer hockey. Yeah, like kids. prongs would just be fucking bang bang, and anyone came in there, you made them pay. And like obviously you were an all star player that they wouldn't fuck with when it came to like you're always on the ice. But I was like, that's how you defend the front of the net. And prongs, you taught me that at a young age and. That's how I got a lot of cross-checking problems in front of the net for it, but I took pride in protecting that blue paint, which which you did your whole career. Yeah, no, I think you when what you have to do is you you create doubt in your opponent's mind. You create before you. I, I know Uppy. I can tell you right now, he wasn't coming to the front of the net. <laughs> oh, I think my left, I think my left hand is still oh, fucked up from your slide. I heard that he almost broke this guy's ankle, or he almost took this guy's knee out, or he almost <laughs> broke that guy's hand. Or, oh, I had a buddy who broke his wrist, or he did this, or he did that. He's not coming to the front of the net. I mean, when that stuff starts going around, or this guy's crazy. Like, he might fight, he might spear, he might kick you, he might whatever. You know, that stuff gets out there, and it creates a little seed of doubt in people's minds, and it sticks for a long time, and it gives you extra space to make a pass, 
totally. uh, buys some time for you to kind of corral a puck. Yeah. Where typically a guy's going to be right on you. You've got a little extra time to kind of settle it down. Fucking right. Yeah, you'd be so, sponsored that's by exa- that's exactly. even more time and space, Prongs. Fuck the yeah. way you played. That's what I was yeah. just trying to give myself a little more time and space out there because I fucking needed it, Prongs. I need a little more time and space. But Broadway, what you got one one more for, for Prongs here? I'm going to turn over to Updog. Yeah, uh, Prongs, I wanted to ask you, when you were working in the front office, did you look at the hockey decisions differently now as to as a, as when you were a player? And like, what are your thoughts on the current holdup with the NHL? I know COVID has a lot to do with it, but... How was uh, the decision-making when you went to the front office side of things? Yeah, as far as players and, and looking at players, I think you have to look at where the game is and where it's going and and how it's played. It's not 1993 like it was when I first came in the league, and it's not 2000 or 2012 when I was done. You know, you have to look at how players play the game, how they understand the game. I would say players are more skilled and faster, but I would – doubt that they're smart uh, and understand the game within the game and how that's played and how, why, why you would set somebody up to do something so that they do it a little later in a game or, or you're constantly, I might poke check, you poke check, you poke check, and then all of a sudden I'm going to forearm shiver you or I might let you get the puck, let you get the puck, and I run you over four times, and then I'm going to go get it first because you're putting the binders on. I mean, I don't think they a lot of players understand – how that side of the game works. So you kind of have to really, when you're scouting players and looking at, at put, putting the pieces together, you got to really know the smarts of a player, know their kind of makeup, their, um, their heart, their determination, their will, their desire. I think that stuff goes a little further now because when you look at a roster, a lot of times now, which is the crazy part, when I came in a league, the fourth line could barely skate. <laughs> now, the fourth line, I know. a lot of times, is faster than the first line. They can fly, the fuckers. They can fly. fly. So there, there's not a big drop-off. If the fourth line is caught out there against the first line, the coach isn't losing his marbles yeah, going, totally. get off. <laughs> you know, He's like, nah, you guys just skate with them. Just don't make a stupid play. You can skate with them yeah, and catch them. Hey, yeah, just prong, dump the puck in. Prongs, it's not like when yeah. I got it's not like when I got caught out there with Dad Suk and Randy being like, Obi, get the fuck off the ice. <laughs> <laughs> get off, get no. the fuck off the ice, Obi. Prongs, get out there. Prongs, is there anyone in the league right now who who you think plays a similar game to how you played the game? No. No, the closest Headman? The closest physically like that would be Weber, but he doesn't play me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, like he's obviously got the size and, um, you know, I don't think he sees the ice the same way, but he's got a physical edge to him and he's a big body and, you know, obviously has a cannon. Yeah. And no one goes around him because of his his strength. And he does have a mean streak, but you you couldn't play the way you played prongs anymore. There's just no chance. But Hedman is a great example of a guy who controls the game like he used to. Yeah. And who maybe has the leadership qualities that you did. Like, Like, I remember watching prongs play some nights my rookie year. And and not that you weren't working hard, prongs, but he didn't really take a fucking hard. Like, he had the puck D to D, boom up, in the blues line, puck to net, finish your angle the guy. I'm like, fucking A prongs. Like, the way he just. You know, controlled the game. I'm like, fuck, that's nice. I'm going to Sharky's prongs. I'll see you tomorrow. Practice. Like- <laughs> no, but you try to, to that point, you try to explain to people, you know, especially young guys coming up, you're like, just don't get noticed. Yeah. Like, do your job. Yeah. Your job is to not get noticed. Your job is to make a quick outlet pass. 
Your job is to, to take the rush and pin this guy and let your partner do his job. You have to rely on your teammates and your partner to do their job. And too often young guys want to be seen and they want to get noticed and they want to get their name out there. And usually, and 99% of the time when they do that, it's for the wrong reason. Yeah. And it's for something bad. And that's not good for their careers. No. I, I, as all my coaches told me, less is more. Less is more. <laughs> Prongs, I want to, as a Stanley Cup champ, you've played on a ton of good teams um, that were close to winning. Obviously, being in the finals two other times. Uh, your time in Philly, I was there a couple years before you. Uh, a lot of the same guys on the team, a lot of the core group of guys were there. Uh, we obviously felt like we could have won... Um, the year I was there, we just didn't have a goalie. Was that the best team you had played on that didn't win a championship? Because I, I felt like, and I think everyone in the league felt like that that core group of guys in Philadelphia for a while while they while they were there were so close to winning, they just you know couldn't get back past Pittsburgh. Or uh, when, when you finally did, you ran into a hot Hawks team. But do you feel like that was probably the best team that you were on that never got to win? Yeah, I think when you look at you look at the the players, the youth, the um, you know, I think they were still growing up. You know, you look at Richie, you look at Karts. I think having that experience and having that understanding of what it was going to take and how dedicated they needed to be um, proved them well in L.A. because they already knew what it was going to take. They knew all year long as I was riding them to get into better shape, to to do more, to to practice harder. When we got into the finals, they were gassed. They had nothing left. They, you know, it, it just became, uh, you know, and, and Richie admitted it to us afterwards, me and Lappy, after he, you know, we told us, like, I didn't have anything left in the tank. You know, so I think, you know, much like we always hear, players need to, to almost get there and feel a failure and, and defeat, but why? And understand why so that they can figure out the solution and then go fix it. And, you know, I think both those guys were huge parts of, of the LA teams that won. And, uh, you know, I think the experience that they had in Philly uh, served them very well. Yeah, no, I look at it like the Hartnell, Kimo Tiemann and you, Matt Carl, Braden Coburn was there at the time when he was playing his best hockey. Vili Leno had an incredible run with you guys. It, like that core group of guys, if you, if you had anyone else other than, and I'm, Michael Layton's a great guy, but, He's not a Stanley Cup winning fucking he's goaltender. He's a third string goalie. He's, he's, a third string he's not going to lead you to the cup. Is like, he? And, and Philly, Philly, obviously, Philly sports fans, you must, I, I love them, and they still have a big following around me and the podcast. So I think this is, a, is, is almost a shout out to them because they felt probably so close and robbed numerous times. But without a goalie, you're not going to win a, win a championship. And those guys, I mean, it's just, it was a, it was a solid group of guys that I, yeah. I love. Oh, and, and you know what? You, you reminded me too. The us four defensemen, myself and Matt Carl, and then Kimo and Braden Colburn played together. The four of us total missed three games. Three of us wow, played wow. all 82 wow. games and every game in the playoffs. Holy moly. And That's a lot of hockey. We rolled four defensemen almost the whole time. We had a fifth <laughs> defenseman, Lucas Krychek, that played eight minutes. Yeah. And, and poor Ryan Parent. Poor Ryan Parent didn't play last <laughs> <laughs> he, he might get one shift. I mean, the poor kid. And it wouldn't be till like 10 minutes into the first period. And they, 
oh, you know, where the coach feels like he's doing you a solid, ah, we'll give him a ship. Yeah. The poor kid's been sitting there for 20 <laughs> minutes. He's ice cold. Like, don't give me a favor. Like, I'm going to suck. I know all about that, Prongs. Same I know all here. About that. I'm glad Bob, he said it. Bob Hartley <laughs> wouldn't put me out till the fucking... I remember Lupo was watching the Battle of Alberta. I'm in Calgary. He's like, before the game, he's like, fucking right, it's Battle of Alberta. I didn't get a shift till after the second TV timeout. He texted me after the game. He's like, sorry, Obes, had to turn it off after the second TV timeout. I couldn't take it anymore. But to answer your question, you don't want to get out there with fucking after no. 10 minutes. You're like... Painful. Oh, so how about that last shift? The last shift with like a minute left in the game. You're up like three or four to one. The coach puts you out. Fuck, I just want to look at him like, fuck you. I'm not going out there now. <laughs> I, I guess I guess the question is, it's no secret that that team, I mean, we got the guys were, they were animals, right? I mean, Carcillo, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Do you think the extracurricular activities cost you guys the cup that year? Uh, oh, I, well, I, I don't know if I'd say it cost us the cup. Uh, I, I would say it didn't help. I mean, you look at Arcillo, Richie, Carts, Ash. Aaron Ash. Fun guys. <laughs> I love players. You know, there's a couple other he guys. He was a tough motherfucker. We had the dry island incident. <laughs> Whose idea was that? Was that Lavi's idea? Was it uh, just that was a Lavi's idea and it backfired because oh, Richie was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I just I just never understood. What is what was dry island? What I'm, Dry I'm, Island was he asked us, you know. I've freaking got three kids at home. What do I care? He's like, uh, yeah, we're going to go. And and part of it was he wanted to lose weight. So he's like, I won't drink and I won't do this. Yeah, you're not even playing. <laughs> selfish. How selfish but is that? He, he said, all right, we're going to go uh, X amount of days without drinking. And for whatever reason, he called it Dry Island. And, you know, I'm, I wasn't drinking. It was a playoff. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, whatever. Bunch of guys put their hands up, and then he's—you could see his eyes beating in on these guys. And they're like, they—they nope. they stand. Hey, they no stood chance. firm. They stood firm. Nope, not gonna happen. Did that happen like in front of everybody? Did Richards go absolutely not? I mean, or was it all sort of behind closed no, doors? No, it wasn't. It wasn't like that. They just didn't put their hands up, and he kind of glared at them, and then he just kind of <laughs> half shook his head. And I mean, it, yeah, because it would have been in. And now that I look at it in hindsight, it would have been smarter had he brought in the leadership group and said, hey, this is what I want to do. What do you think? Like, don't just throw it on the table and then you get an outcome like that. And then, by the way, really, it's going to find out, it's going to fall into the media? Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So, and did that ultimately break? That ultimately broke the team up, right? I mean, that was like irreparable. I mean, it shouldn't have been, but it's sort of... Irreparable, uh, irreparable damages, right? <laughs> a couple other things happened too, eh, Prongs? Yeah, there might have been a few other things. You don't get away much. Uh, you don't get away with too much in Philadelphia. People, no. uh, people know what you're yeah. doing day in day out. Well, and you look at from Bobby Clark to Homer to they all, all did the same staff, thing to Mr. Snyder to all, everybody. They've been there forever and a day. There isn't one bar owner, bartender, uh, you know, club owner, whatever that doesn't have a have their cell phone number and isn't excited to call him and say, hey, so-and-so's in my bar. Yeah. You know, like, so Plus, it's, it's not a secret. Yeah. Plus, it's easy to figure out what someone's doing when you used to do it too, not, you know, 20 <laughs> years ago. You're like, exactly. hey, yeah. I know that look. The fucking glossy <laughs> eyes. and the, Yeah, you know, you're not putting one past those boys. Not a chance. Bobby Clark, you don't think he sees <laughs> yeah. right through you? 
Um, also, too, all those guys. I mean, listen, I wouldn't even. But those the guy, the guys on the peripheral, the equipment man, they're they're a guy who got a direct line to ownership and management. You guys come into the locker room and you're talking about last night. I mean, Every single thing goes right to. It's like anything else. Man. I it told, goes right to the top. I told the near the end of my career when I was at the end of the NHL and down the Myers the young kids. I said to them, I said, the trainers are amazing. They were great to me with their career, but, you know, keep it quiet. I think some of the trainers in Vancouver, for example, I would go in and tell them some stories. And later on, I heard my second year near the end when, I, when the writing was on the wall that they were kind of running their mouth. That, hey, O'Brien was out. He had a party with bras, this and that. So sometimes I think certain trainers, they will sizzle the boys. But. Well, it's a good thing that you had girls at the party. Vancouver. <laughs> anybody can get laid Always. in Vancouver, eh, Bronx? Anybody in Vancouver's easy. That's why it's my favorite spot. But um, <laughs> Bronx, listen, I, I got to tell this one story before we let, we can sit here all day and talk with you, buddy. My rookie year, Cons, do you know what a shoe check is, Cons? Uh, I oh. do. So we had our rookie dinner, my rookie dinner in Dallas. And like I said, Prongs was good to me, so I was feeling pretty comfortable with Prongs. And I had all the boys in on it, Nita Meyer boys, uh, Bolshevik, everyone. So I put a little fucking ranch on my on my fork, Broadway, and I was climbing under the fucking table, and I get all the way to prongs. Like I got him. I got this fucking ketchup going on his shoe, and fuck, he kicks my hand, and he looks down, and he just starts chucking like boom, <laughs> <laughs> boom, like three or four with me. Then he gets up, calls the waitress over, and goes to bar buy four more of the most expensive balls of wine in the fucking thing. And I just want to tell you, Prongs, I learned my lesson after that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the rookie bill went up another ten grand, and Pens yeah. and Shandy were like, "Obi, you fucking idiot!" But. Well, for people that for people that don't know, a shoe check is when you you sneak up and you put something on somebody's shoes under the table and they don't see it. Right? Yeah, and when you're a rookie, you don't do it to fucking Chris Pronger. But I had just enough yeah, booze in me, and I knew I knew that Prongs liked me enough that if I did it, eventually he'd get over it. But as the veteran, he caught me red-handed, gave me a couple, and then ordered four bottles. Of he doesn't strike me as a guy that appreciates a shoe check. No, I mean I was. <laughs> just feeling good. I don't know, but he, he caught me right You were here. buzzed. You were yeah, buzzed. It was, it was probably all, uh, it was undercover too. He knew you were probably trying to get Maybe him. the boys set me up. Yeah, Maybe they were trying to say. Hey, no, hey, no, hey, one shoot, no one shoot checks prongs without him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, those trainers tipped him off. The whole time, but um, prongs, honestly, buddy, um, everything you did for me my rookie year, buddy, uh, it was awesome. I learned a lot from you. Um, let's talk about what you're doing now, the Well-Inspired Travels with you and your wife. It's a company you're running now. Just tell us quickly what that's about. Uh, boutique luxury travel company, uh, niche clients, elite athletes, uh, celebrity CEOs, business owners. Um, really, it, it's actors, uh, you know, mentoring and, and kind of all encompassing where uh, our, our niche is health and wellness. We do everything, but health and wellness is our niche, uh, mind, body, spirit, and, and what, uh, what that can do for you uh, with your travels. We're, we're, Firm believers in implementing uh, something that you've learned on every trip into your everyday life. I think too often people go to different locations and they just kind of turn their brain off and they, you know, part, you know, it's, it's okay to go party a little bit, but taking some culture, taking some culinary, do some adventure, yeah. uh, do something. And, you know, I think for us, you know, with my injuries and, and at the end of my career, we traveled a lot and, and I really, you know, owe a lot of, of my healing to, to travel and, and going to some of these properties that uh, allow you to kind of decompress, de-stress and, and uh, um, you know, a long, long story about how my wife, it's, it's been impactful on her since she's been six years old and her dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. So it's, uh, 
uh, you know, something that has been in the back of her head for, you know, 30 some odd years. And uh, I've obviously been a big traveler myself and obviously traveled for, for, uh, for sports. So um, it's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're in for the long term and something that we are uh, excited about, uh, you know, post, post pandemic and, yeah. and uh, get all this behind us. Uh, we've we've had a lot of great conversations with athletes and CEOs and and uh, you know looking forward to uh, you know a bright future. What's the what's the website called? Prongs. Well inspired travels with an S. Awesome. Dot com. It's uh, and we're on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Same handle. Prongs, awesome, buddy. We'll we'll get you back on once hockey starts. But uh, you're an absolute legend, buddy. Happy you're doing well. And when the pandemic's over. Let's play some golf, buddy. I want to see if I can get in those yeah, deep, let's, uh, get get those deep pockets of yours. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> Didn't work out so well for you when you played here. <laughs> I was allowed the ice against you, buddy. I was just watching you. Thanks, Prongs. You're the best, buddy. Thank you. All Thanks, right, guys. Prongs. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Well up, dog. I mean, Chris Pronger, what an unbelievable guy. Legendary career. I was lucky enough to, to play with him as a rookie. He's, uh, as you can tell, he played hard. He was kind of a prick, but he's a pretty fun loving yeah, guy now. I heard a lot of stories about him. Um, you know, some guys saying he's a little hard on younger guys, but what, what he was just, you know, Michael Jordan was hard on younger guys too. Yeah. And uh, uh, vicious the way he played, but he won champions, championships, uh, uh, and he played the game the right way. I love the way he played, so it was a pleasure to have him on. Still has a lot of confidence. Yeah, just a, he's a fun-loving guy. And honestly... You say Michael Jordan, and we brought it up in the pod. Like, that's how he was, boys. At practice, he went out there. He was a fucking, did his job, got his workout in, and then after, start joking around and having a good time. But Broadway, what were your thoughts on prongs? Yeah, it was cool. He could tell he's a very intense guy. And he, like you said, these stories, like you said, he was hard on the young guys. But he'd be a fun guy to play for because he holds you accountable, and he was a winner. So, you know what? Everyone, he, everyone, when you win, everybody wins. So, it's just a cool guy. I was really impressed at how intense he was. We didn't even dive into, the, like, the Olympics with, like, no. Mario yeah. and shit. Like, he, he is, you We'll know. have him back on for sure. Up. He will, he'll, oh, be, he'll, he'll be a regular. He's a legend. Yeah. He's a legend yeah. himself. And such a good guy, the way he was talking. Like, he could, he could carry the conversation. We'll definitely have him back on. And, uh... He invited me over my rookie year because I didn't have any family for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't know if I said this, but then he opened up the Crown Royal bottle for me. I drank the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was pre-Uber. He was living at Shady K. I'm like, prongs, I need a cab to get me out of here. But uh, anyways, like always, Uppy, love you. You're the man. Captain Connolly. Great stuff today, guys. Jimmy, Scoops, Broadway. Until next week, thanks for listening, folks. Another one. Yeah. DJ Khaled! Bitches calling my phone like I'm locked up nonstop. From the plane to the fucking helicopter, yeah. Cops pulling up like I'm giving drugs out, nah, nah. I'm a pop star, not a doctor. Bitches calling my phone like I'm locked up nonstop. From the plane to the fucking helicopter, yeah. Cops pulling up like I'm giving drugs out, Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.